uh, this is a great line from Indiana Jones, one of the Indiana Jones movies, and uh, this little uh, line where the one of the guys says, "You call him Doctor Jones." So, Dave, you can call me Doctor Jones anytime you want. All right. Hey, um, I don't know how many of you are uh, good students. How many of you are good students? All right. Good. And you studied hard in school, right? Bradley, you're a good student. You studied hard. When I was in high school, I studied really, really hard. It just so happened that it didn't uh, have anything to do with books. Um, when I was in high school, one of the things that I did most of my studying on was, uh, with this, was this particular thing right here. Uh, I had about two hours in between class, uh, in between class and um, swim practice where uh, about five days a week, about two hours a day, I played Frisbee. Uh, ultimate Frisbee, uh, uh, all kinds of different things. And uh, it, it was really fun because, uh, you know, I got to the place where I could do some tricks and that kind of thing. And uh, Frisbees are interesting because they, they, they go best when, they, uh, when they're around and when they've got a pin in the middle of them to hold, to hold on uh, in the middle. Um, if you've ever tried to throw a frisbee that's out of balance, that's that's unweighted, what happens is it kind of wobbles. Now, I'm not going to try to make it back there to you, Carl. Uh, uh, it wobbles. It flies crooked or sideways. It doesn't it doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. But when you've got a well balanced frisbee, it can go right where you want it to go and fly smoothly. Now we've been talking in this series about Jesus the center, Christ the center. The book of Colossians is all about that. And, uh, and so that's what our series has been on. And we've talked about this because Paul over and over again comes back to this whole notion of Christ as the center of our lives. Chapter 1, we find out he's the center of the universe. He's the center of all things. He holds all things together. He's the center of our salvation. And what happens when you get a life that doesn't have Christ at the center, it starts to wobble and eventually will crash and burn. And uh, some of us were talking this morning before breakfast about what our lives were like before we had Jesus at the center of them. And when you place something else at the center other than Christ, there's trouble. Now, when we talked uh, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, set this in the context of Jesus in the center and what the people in Colossae were dealing with. Uh, a, A culture much like ours where there's all kinds of ideas about the nature of the universe and what's most important and and, uh, how you get to heaven and lots of different uh, varieties and ways of looking at things. And so Paul's message to the church there was to say, I want to encourage you to stay strong. I want to encourage you to fly straight. And how do you do that in this very diverse um, scenario, in this context where this... This idea of Gnosticism was going along. And you guys have heard about that, where this kind of secret knowledge was out there. And, and uh, people in that city in that day said, now you've got to have the secret decoder ring that you got in the cereal box to find out the message and the language of, of heaven. And, uh, and once you've got that down there, by the way, there are these special intermediary beings that go back and forth between heaven and earth. By the way, heaven, good, earth, bad. Right? Uh, spirituality, good. Body, flesh, bad. So they always were trying to separate the body and the, and the spirit. Trying to separate heaven and earth. And that was, I mean, it was basically old age. I call it old age because we've got the new age now. This is just old. So it's the new age back then. 
Same sort of idea. And so um, Paul starts his letter off with prayer and says, man, I am praying for you guys. I want you to stand firm. And then he goes through and he talks to them about the goal of life being like Jesus. And that that was their intention and their aim. And then um, last week we heard Dennis give us this, this, um, this word about being freedom, uh, having freedom, this song we just sang, about we've been set free in that, that certificate of debt, that certificate, those things that were hostile against us, these decrees, been nailed to the cross, having been taken out of the way. Awesome, awesome truths. So this morning, I just want to... Uh, look with you at a couple of warnings that Paul gives. Uh, kind of warnings about how to allow your life to fly straight in the midst of these kinds of things. And uh, the first warning we saw last week, and it was this. Don't let anyone capture you. Look at that in chapter 2, verse 8. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men. According to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. There's all kinds of ideas, there's all kinds of things that are going to come across your plate as things to fill your life up with. And he says, don't let anybody capture you. Now in particular, he's talking about this legalism. And uh, some people think that it was a legalism that was pretty closely tied to Judaism, right? Keep the law, keep all these things, jump through these hoops, and then God will love you. Paul comes back and says, no, it's about grace. It's about not earning God's favor, but it's about having that favor through what Jesus has done. So we're set free from the law. And this is what is kind of central to to legalism, to Judaism, to paganism and humanism, or whatever other ism that's on the menu that day or today. It takes Christ out of the center and puts something else there. It puts a man-made religion It puts a set of rules or a bunch of hoops to jump through. It puts some kind of special knowledge. Or puts another person or puts something other than Christ at the middle of a relationship with God. We see all kinds of flavors of that today all around you. You get a knock at the door. Ask one of those people who come in the knock on the door or the nicely dressed men on the 10-speed bicycles. And they say... You know, is Jesus God? Oh, sure, He's God. And they'll add others right along with that. Other ideas, other systems, other secret knowledge at the middle rather than just Christ Himself. In a word, these philosophies that are around today and that are around in Paul's day diminish the primacy, the centrality, and the sufficiency of Jesus. It's making Him less than He, is, than he truly is. And so, we're going to get this into this then today. We're going to see this freedom in Christ. We're going to see this balance of that idea of freedom in Christ against some of the things that have come up in other verses where Paul says, hey, you know what? Being a Christian, there's suffering involved. Being a Christian, there's striving. Two weeks ago, you saw that passage that says, for I labor to make these things happen. It's not just a walk in the park. The Christian walk, the, the road to maturity and growing to be like Jesus, is uh, it's not just going to happen because you showed up in church one Sunday, right? There's effort involved. And so the interesting thing about the Christian walk then is this balance between, between the effort that it takes to grow and the freedom that it has, we have to be in Christ. And I have found so many times this balance. And I don't know if you've experienced this, 
where there's an issue of balance, right? We're free in Christ. Amen, right? Well, then let's go out and sin all the more that grace may increase. Whoa, wait a minute. No, huh? don't go that far. Paul said that in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. We've got all kinds of things like that. And so we're going to see a little bit of this balance that we've got looking at today. I've found for a lot of people it's easier, and myself included, to just go all the way one way or another. To become a legalist. It's, it's, it's somehow, um, it gives you some security to say, okay, here's a list of do's and don'ts, a list of rules to follow, and if I follow those, then I'm a good Christian boy. Right? certain number of hours a day in prayer, or a certain kind and style or weight of Bible, right? A certain haircut or a certain look or a certain way of doing things, and then I know I'm in, right? And the great thing about knowing that I am in, I can look at others and identify that they're not in, (laughs) right? What is it about human nature that makes us want to do that, right? Us in, them out. Well, that's exactly what was facing these young believers in the church in Colossae. Let me show you the, the other warnings. The second warning we find in verses 16 and 17. And that's this. Don't let anyone condemn you. Look at verse 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Things which are a mere shadow of which is, which is to come but the substance belongs to Christ. What were the issues of that day? Well, there were certain foods that were okay to eat and certain foods that weren't. There were certain holidays that were to be followed and certain other days that weren't. Now, why was that important? Well, you remember in the Jewish economy that there... Uh, let's go to that next slide. That the, in the Jewish economy, there were very clear rules about what was to be eaten and what was not to be eaten. Again... And uh, as God was setting up the kingdom, He said, I want to clearly identify my people, the Jewish people, because they have a role to play. They're going to display who I am, my holiness, my purity. And so He set up these rules of eating, these rules uh, to follow, these holidays, these, these Sabbath festivals, these kinds of things. And He said, that's, that's a very important part of that. Well, when Christ came along, He said, I didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. So Christ came and said, here, I fulfilled the law. Now you're free. Acts chapter 10. Peter sees this vision coming down from heaven. It's not just about what to eat and what not to eat, but that great mystery that Darren talked a couple of weeks ago about the fact that the Gospel is open to everyone, to Jews and to Gentiles. I mean, that's the celebration of this mystery that's been revealed now. So, there we have this idea that says, now we're open, we're free in Christ. Paul, in the books of 1 Corinthians and the book of Romans, was dealing with a church that was kind of saying, well, most of us used to be Jews, Um, some of us weren't, but how do we deal with these laws and these rules? I'm used to keeping rules. Here's what he says. Look at verse 17. These things are a mere shadow of what is to come. Uh... Uh, any of you ever been camping and done the little shadow things? You know, I could never do those. Mine always looked like, I don't know, hands. You know, they, they, they didn't really look like any. But I've seen some of these things. There, people who can really do those well are absolutely amazing. But they're not birds or bunnies or, you know, people singing. What those, 
They're just shadows. That, that's, the, that's the story here. This is just a, a reflection of what's real, of what's true. And the reality is, it's Christ. So following all these rules and following these things, they weren't bad things to do, but they weren't the reality. The reality came. Didn't even follow the shadows anymore. Uh, I went to a, uh, a college I, that shall remain unnamed, Bible college. And uh, it was a new experience for me. I'm a California boy. I grew up right here in San Jose. So going to the south was a real experience for me. And I experienced a culture that was new. Uh, and it's the deep, well, it's not deep south, but it's south enough for me, uh, where, uh, you know, there was, a, there was a high value on outward appearances of spirituality. Now, I'm not saying all uh, southern Christians are like this, but the particular place that I went had several. Uh, and I just happened to run into them all the time. We had what we called the, uh, the salute, where, you know, you put your hair back over your ears, because hair over your ears for a male was, uh, was unspiritual. Uh, I know that I was seen as suspect simply because I carried a backpack instead of a briefcase. I'm like, I'm 20 years old, I'm not carrying a briefcase, come on, right? Uh, where a certain translation of the Scripture, that was the one that was good. And a tie made you more like Jesus somehow. I, I just, I couldn't figure that out. I always thought the tie just constricted the blood, of flow, uh, the blood flow to my brain. Still do believe that. Anyway. Now, we laugh about those things because we look at that and we just kind of go, oh, that's so silly. But do we do that too? I mean, is there a certain way that you have to look or not look? And if somebody came in and looked, you know, like I've just described it, we go, oh gosh, you know, how weird. Right? We, we may, it's easy for us to look at others looking at us and go, oh, that's wrong. But then we do it ourselves. What, what Paul is trying to say here is, it's not about these external things to try to judge one another. And before, again, we look at somebody else and say, oh, I would never do that. Just ask yourself the question, would we really? Or wouldn't we? He says, it's, it's a shadow. Paul's evaluation of this is that the rules are there to mentor us. They're there to help us, to encourage us, but they're not the reality of a relationship with Christ. The law was a mentor to point us to Jesus. But now that Jesus has come and worked in our lives, it's taken that out of the way. That's what that whole passage just uh, prior to this is about. Uh, let me just read a, a little bit to you from Romans 14, chapter, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. He says, Accept him whose weakest faith without passing judgment on disputable matters. I still remember a sermon Dave gave on that passage. We put so much into that disputable matters. Have you ever thought about the kinds of things that churches split over? You know, the color of carpet, right? Communion met together or separate, baptized forward or baptized backward. I mean, some of these kinds of things that are just disputable, right? It says, hey, don't judge on that. And don't let anyone condemn you. I had lunch last week with a guy who calls himself a recovering perfectionist. Uh, I think they have a, a help group for that. Uh, but, you know, he had kind of grown up in this, in this culture that said everything's got to be just right, just so. And what he said he found himself doing is people who didn't look like he looked, which, by the way, isn't like you or me, he looked down on them because they weren't like him. 
And they weren't like, you know, his particular uh, circle. And uh, he said that it's been really freeing for him to, to come to the United States and to be a part of a culture that's so diverse and to see people so different from him and say, wow, they love Jesus too. What do you know? Who'd have thought? So, Paul says, keep it loose. Don't let somebody condemn you. Uh, let's look at the second warning. Actually, the third warning uh, in this. Yeah, so the answer then to this, his evaluation, is, it's, let's go back. The answer to that is, it's meaningless. These things, these, these food, this drink, those things, and we're going to come back to this in a little bit later, they're meaningless. You can't condemn somebody based on those kinds of things. They're just a shadow. Now, uh, somebody mentioned Home Depot here earlier. I'm sorry this looks like a Home Depot uh, commercial uh, with uh, everything going on there with the colors. But um, anyway, let's go on. The third warning. Verse, found in verses two, chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. It says, don't let anyone disqualify you. The second warning is don't let anybody condemn you. Third warning, don't let anybody disqualify you. Verse 18. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking a stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause in his fleshly mind. The word here is used to steal a prize from somebody. It's the idea of the Colosseum, where there's an athletic contest going on, and a judge arbitrarily renders a judgment that takes a prize away from somebody else. The picture is clear. You have a prize in Christ. You've been given eternal life. And with that context of judgment and looking at people on outward appearances, they say, no, you don't qualify anymore. Something you've done takes your prize away from you. Uh, disqualifying believers for failing to meet a certain set of standards. I'll never forget the first swimming race that I ever did. Gilroy High School. Uh, I'd never been on a swim team before. And I jumped in the water and uh, I'd been practicing and I got in and swam a race. And somebody forgot to tell me that when you swim backstroke, you have to stay on your back. So I raced my heart out. I had this great race. I think I might have, you know, come in not last. And, uh, and then to add insult to injury, this judge comes up to me and says, disqualified, DQ. I was like, what? What did I do? You forgot to stay on your back in backstroke. Well, that's the same idea here. To disqualify somebody. Now, Paul's saying the rules that are being used, the issues at stake, are not quite so clear as that one. Look at what they are. It says, delighting in self-abasement. I think the NIV translates it, false humility. So, here's, here's, the, here's the amazing thing about this that as these people were making all these rules and all these kinds of things that they needed to follow, they were getting humble about it. <laughs> Which is funny, you know, because you say, I'm so good at keeping these rules. I've been so great at keeping it all. You know, the one that you forget to keep is to stay humble. But he says, they delight in that process. They delight in showing how humble they are. And, uh, and therefore, for, uh, lose their own prize talks about the worship of angels and visions. Again, these spiritual intermediaries I was telling you about was this whole cult of following these, these beings. And, uh, and there's a lot that has, uh, has been written about that. The idea was that it was an experience-based religion. That there was this, 
this uh, ecstasy that they got caught up into. There was this experience that was happening in the cultic religions of the day. And it's much like a lot of religion today. It's caught up in experience. It's what I can see and what I, what I see going on around me. It's the emotion. Have you noticed lately in our own culture uh, an increased uh, interest in angels? The number of TV shows, the number of movies, these kinds of things with the supernatural turn toward it. And sometimes they're not all bad. Sometimes they're kind of good. But have you noticed the kind of things that angels do is not biblical at all? You know, angels in these TV shows, you know, call the tow truck when you get a flat. I mean, angels come and kind of work out your personal problems for you when things aren't going quite right. Now, God, of course, is too busy to spend time. But angels, you know, they don't require very much. They just kind of show up when you need them. And, you know, what is the little bumper sticker that says, uh, don't drive faster than my angel can fly or, you know, something like that? Well, that's, that's a really popular little sentiment. Because angels then are there to take care of my needs. They're there to take care of what I want them to do. They're not sovereign. They're my, uh, my guardian. Angels watching over me. But again, the idea is that that's not a biblical picture of angels. Angels come and deliver message from God. They don't really say much or do much. We hear a couple of verses in the New Testament about about the, the, the protection we have of angels, but angels are messengers from God with messages from Him, not personal valets. So, that's a, that's a religion that got caught up around that. And then, the last thing that, that, that they got caught up in is this idea of visions. Now, Paul had visions, but Paul didn't put those at the center of his relationship with God. In fact, some say that he is the vision that he saw... He even he, he said that I know of a certain man who had a vision. Well, most people think that was him, but Paul was distancing himself from it because he didn't want to say. And this is the core of my my religion. It's this vision I had. Now, does God give people visions? Yeah, I think He does. Are there such things as angels? Yeah, absolutely. I believe there are. Do I think we ought to be humble? Yeah, we should. But the key is, is it at the center of your relationship with God? Or is Christ? So, that's what they were getting out of line. Anything that gets away from Jesus at the center. Look at verse 19. And not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by joints and ligaments grows with the growth which is from God. Paul could not say it any clearer. Anything that gets away from a connection with Christ is taking you in the wrong direction. Anything that adds to Jesus. So, what's the evaluation? Anyone disconnected from Christ is in dangerous territory. Jesus Christ is our source. He's our start. He's our commander. He's the one we follow. You start talking about getting away from Christ. Oh, did Jesus really say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life? going to add some other things in that, man, it's dangerous. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6-8, through he said, I am astonished that you are turning so quickly to desert the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. 
evidently some people are throwing you into confusion or trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Listen to what he says. Even if we, meaning Paul, or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Somebody's going to come and take something away from Christ or put something else in his place. He says, it's the wrong way to go. Now you might say, wow, that sounds like a tough place to live back then. I mean, that must have been really hard. I'm glad we don't have these kinds of things going around today. Uh, Have you heard about the largest church in the world? Started March 3rd, 2008 with 300,000 people in attendance in a mass trance. It now has 2 million followers that meet every Monday night. Here's a couple of statements from its founder. Who you are requires no belief. Heaven is not a location. It's an inner realm of consciousness. My mind is part of God's mind. I am very holy. My salvation comes from me. Let me remember that there is no sin. What about this one? Do not make the pathetic error of, quote, clinging to the old rugged cross. Who's the leader of this? You got it. Oprah Winfrey. Now, I could not believe when I first read about this, so I went to the website and I looked at this stuff and I dug it up. She's endorsed the books, The Secret, and A Course on Miracles, and this online class, Awakening Your Life's Purpose, or uh, uh, called A New Earth. You might say, well, wait a minute, isn't Oprah about makeovers and weight loss and you know giving cars away and all that good kind of stuff like that? Yeah, she is. She's doing some very humanitarian things. But behind it all is the new age, old age, just as clearly as can be. Um, now, now, Paul's approach to these things was not to dive into them. You read through the book of Colossians, it's about Jesus, amen? It's not about all these other things. And so, if you want to find out more about Oprah, go ahead. It's a waste of time. I think you've learned enough to know that it's, that it's lies. Right? Paul's approach was to say, let me show you about Jesus. Let me show you how great He is. Let me show you what He's done. He is the center of all things. He is the heart of our salvation. He is the true center of your lives. And so, he says, stay clear. Um, the fourth warning that Paul gives, he says, don't let anybody control you. Verses 20 through 23. What were the issues? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Again, just these severe rules. And the idea was somehow that if you just, if you just were severe enough with yourself, with this earthly body that was bad, that somehow you'd be really good inside. And that's what really mattered. And what Paul says is, there's no way. These severe rules, guess what? They're just self-motivated ideas. Puffed up ideas as to what came, uh, as to what is the uh, extent of holiness. Self is at the center of the fourth warning. Self-discipline, self-control, self-awareness. Now, again, here's the here's the wild thing about this. Are those bad things? Self-control? No, it's one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? 
Self-awareness? Is that, is that a negative? No, of course it isn't. But if those things get at the center of your life, what religion becomes then is self-worship. Right? And what happens, I think, a lot of times is people don't realize that, yeah, God does want us to have self-control. And God does want us to be self-aware. But the way we're going to get to those things is not through ourselves. It's through knowing Him. What does Jesus think about me? I've been told all my life growing up that I'm no good. My dad told me that I'll never amount to anything. Or some other lie that, you, that maybe you were told. What does Jesus think about that? What did God say is true about me at the core of who I really am? Now we're talking about real life. Not a bunch of rules. What's his evaluation? He says it right there at the end of verse 23. These are of no value against fleshly indulgence. They are empty issues with no eternal effect. I like the way Jesus said it. Mark chapter 7. You know, we say the Lord... We don't often give the Lord much credit for a sense of humor, but He really did. Mark chapter 7, verses 18-23, through 23, He was talking about this very issue with His disciples. And He said, Are you so dull? So dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters into a man from the outside can make him unclean? It's a Jewish context, right? They're talking about being unclean. For doesn't it go into his uh, for it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. Literally, see the, the guys when they translated that, they had to be nice. But literally it says it goes out of him and into the toilet. So that's where this stuff goes. So that's not going to make you, you know, holy or unholy. He went on. What goes out of a man is what makes him, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, and on and on. Now we're talking about the real stuff of religion, about a walk with God. It's not where you go and, and what you drink and what you don't drink. Should we give attention to those things? Yeah, that's not the center of a relationship with Christ, and we shouldn't make it that way. First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, Romans 14, there's a lot about that, about giving preference to one another, about being careful, about making somebody else stumble. But that's a whole nother, another sermon. Uh, let me wrap up by saying this. Rules are like religious training wheels. They keep us from tipping over. But it comes a point in time where we need to use our discernment and discernment, frankly, is harder to use than a list of rules. And some of you might be saying, well, gee, I've just become a Christian and I don't really know. Then you know what? Go to a mature believer and say, maybe you can give me a framework of how I should run my life when I'm first getting started in a walk with Christ. You know? When I first came to Christ, man, I was pretty rigid. Not, 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 not. I wish somebody had come along and said, let's not concentrate on not. Let's think about what, 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 what on the other side. Rules help us gauge things. Am I giving time, talent, and treasure to the poor and the needy? Yes or no? Am I sharing my faith with other people? Yes or no? Those are good things to take a look. But again, the heart of it is, where's Jesus in my heart? Does Jesus want me to share with other people? The answer will be yes. The allure of rules is that they give us a clear set of guidelines for behavior. They do give us a sense of security. Sometimes a false sense of security. But more often they are used for judging other people. 
but not for making us love God more or desire holiness. Let me summarize with just a couple of points of application. This passage is basically telling us to beware of several things. Number one, beware of anyone who judges, excludes, or disqualifies other people according to human criterion. Beware of somebody that's got a bunch of rules and regulations that are humanly made that say, this is in, this is out. Okay? Jesus Christ came, He nailed those decrees, which is the word talked about here, to the cross, having taken them away. Number two, beware of anyone who substitutes outward disciplines for the real struggles with sin that are on the inside. Now hear me carefully. Are outward disciplines important? You bet they are. we got a group of men on Friday morning that are studying spiritual disciplines. But it's spiritual disciplines around the outside with Jesus in the center. Right? It's not about becoming, you know, the most disciplined person. It's becoming the more like, most like Jesus. And so those disciplines can help you. But keep it in the right place. Number three. Anyone who makes subjective feelings and personal experiences more important than the historical event of Christ's crucifixion and revelation. Be careful. Beware. Watch out for them. They've got an agenda. They've got some place that they're going with that. Number four. Anyone who places more importance on divine intermediaries, such as angels, than on the reality of Christ. There is one intermediary. There is one advocate. His name is Jesus. Four. And number five. Anyone who separates people from the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Man, we bring Jesus' name up all the time here because He's central. He's the center of our worship. He's the center of our lives. He's the center of our desire to talk to and to reach others. Uh, this morning, uh, this afternoon, I'm, uh, I'm participating in a memorial service. It's for a guy named Rolf Engelbrecht. Most of you probably don't, didn't know Rolf. Uh, Rolf was a, um, a graduate from Yale University. He's a brilliant man. Offered a full-ride scholarship to Stanford University to study computer science. Um, it was under a palm tree at Stanford University that Rolf came to know Christ as Savior and Lord. He wrangled through the issues of what it was all about and, and how could Jesus really be God and gave his life in faith to Christ. Served the Lord for many years as a missionary. And last Monday, a week ago Monday, uh, lost a four-year battle with cancer. Um, before he died, Rolf told me, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Kurt, it's what you've got to share with all my unsaved family. All of, his, all of his family's unsaved and all of his wife's family's unsaved. And so I said, okay, what is it? And he said, I do not want you to be unaware. I do not want you to be deceived. I do not want you to be uninformed, my brethren, and so grieve as those who have no hope. And that's what's going on in this world around us. Uninformed, deceived, and, um, and Satan would love nothing more than to fo- have us follow suit with that. Keep Christ at the center, everybody. Center of your prayer time, center of your time in the Word, center of your relationship. And uh, God will bless you as you do. Join me in a word of prayer. Thanks, Lord, for being um, uh, being there. There for us. 
there for uh, um, uh, us in our times of confusion and hurt and trial. There for us in our times of joy. Thank you for speaking to us, God, when, um, when we're not quite sure what to do. Lord, that you are strong enough and you are big enough uh, to help us through any failure, any fault. Um, and uh, Lord, we're grateful that when we do that, yeah, we really, we fly straight and true. And uh, life goes the way you want it to go for us. And uh, thanks for this time to worship and to study together. In Jesus' name, amen.